Welcome. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the entertainment culture and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media. We talk television, film, music, literature, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Peyton Meyer Gordon III. Take it away, George. Thank you, Dave. Dave, we've got a pretty amazing show today. On the show, we've got social justice activist, Black Lives Matter organizer, and South Carolina State House District 25 candidate Derek Quarles. And this week we're going to be talking about Southern rap songs and soul food, two things that have <laughs> very dear to my heart. But before we get into that, how are you? I'm doing all right. I am preparing, at least mentally preparing, for going on vacation for the first time in uh, like a year and a half, two years, which is super weird to say, just like the word vacation and that time period. It's crazy but anyway but yeah we're going to the poconos yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm looking forward to getting uh getting out and doing some hikes and uh which george mentioned earlier sounds like a nightmare to you but uh no way man (laughs) sounds like fucking paradise for me man i want to get on the water get in a canoe or a kayak nothing like getting out in the middle of a fucking lake or something and smoking a joint and then staring at the ripples, man. <laughs> so uh, that's what vacation is to me. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, now I got to pack and do all that <laughs> in between work. First I got to do laundry and then, uh, you know, in between work, working work schedule. Uh, but anyway, George, how are you doing, man? What's going on with you? I'm, I'm good. I remember getting mail and how excited you were when you got mail that wasn't like bills. And I got something in the mail. And I want to shout out my friend, uh, Carly Mosley, who made this amazing little illustration book that she sent me uh, called An Illustrated Guide to Some Birds. I've seen recently the spring edition. So shout out to my buddy, Carly Mosley. What's up? Let's go. I love this thing. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put a link uh, on it on our, uh, on our, when we put our episode out, but, uh, but shout out to Carly Mosley for sending that to me. I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. That's, <laughs> that's great. All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead and, uh, open this bar up. What do we got, uh, on tap today, George? Today we've got on tap is like, uh, we, we both recently saw some live sporting events. I saw a Mets game last <laughs> night. Uh, you saw a basketball game last week, and uh, we're also going to be talking about a ban on to-go alcoholic beverages. We both have some thoughts. And finally, we're going to be talking about the MCU LGBTQ plus representation in Loki and beyond, which is a show that I've been enjoying. But let's talk about live sporting events. Let's talk about the basketball game you went to. Tell us. Well, we, yeah, we went to a WNBA game just the other day at uh, Barclays Center here in Brooklyn, the New York Liberty versus the Chicago Sky. And uh, led by Candace Parker, they destroyed him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was great. I mean, it was super fun. Like, I- I'll say that, at least for me personally, and, and Hillary, who who we went together, um, it was kind of the perfect, uh, like, what about Bob baby step? <laughs> um, um, baby steps to the car, baby steps onto the bus. Baby. <laughs> great reference. I love that movie. <laughs> What the fuck is his last name? It's something ridiculous. But anyway, Leo? No, 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 not Leo. Uh, not the not Richard Dreyfus. Bob, it, fucking Bob. His last name is like Terwilliger or something. It's not that, but it's something. It's something hysterical. But anyway, I don't want to get get off track because I honestly don't know if for the WNBA games they were at full capacity. I don't believe that they are. But you know, this isn't. This is kind of a sad 
reality, but like WNBA games just don't sell that many. They don't sell out ever and they don't like it draw that many fans. But from like a personal standpoint, only be, being in the stadium with only probably like a couple thousand fans was great. <laughs> the game was super fun. The experience was like pretty anxiety free. I would say we were in like a vaccinated section and that's why they're not at full capacity, but like for some events, you know, like MSG is full capacity, but it's fully vaccinated. You'll talk about this in a second, but city field may, may be that way as well, or, or they're going to that soon. Um, but yeah, we showed like our fucking like Excelsior pass. First time I've used that. I didn't believe it would work, but it did. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you're, you're allowed to take your mask off while you're in your seat. But like the handful of people that were in our section, like nobody, everybody just wore their mask the, the whole time mm -hmm. other than when they were like eating and stuff. It was fun. I highly recommend it. WNBA games back to live sports. It's, it was nice to get some sense of normalcy back. How was the Mets game? I'm dying. Uh, the Mets game was awesome. Uh, shout out to my friends, uh, Dana, who uh, who got the tickets for us. And because like we've been making, going going to the game, she got the tickets for my birthday. Uh, I bought a Mets cap before the game. I am not a Mets fan. I do like the color scheme and I love Mob Deep and Knox who are from Queens. So if you come at me and ask me who my favorite Mets player is, I'm just going to tell you, I like the infamous and I like Nas. Don't <laughs> fucking talk to me about the Mets. But Queensbridge, shout out. Yeah, like Queensbridge, shout out. <laughs> uh, but no, it was good. It was a good time. Um, had a lot of beers. You forget how expensive sporting events are. Uh, I'm going to ask you before we move to our next topic, how much three shots of tequila and a tall boy is. Oh, my God. All right. Let me think about this for one second because I want to give like a real answer because I, I think I can I can come close. Three shots of tequila and a tall boy of foreign or domestic beer. <laughs> of domestic good good question good question okay. um um i'm gonna say that was at least 60 bucks 65 dollars holy <laughs> shit Ugh, that that's disgusting so, they, they get you coming and going at a sporting event sure so fucking do as, as excited i am to have live sporting events i won't be going back anytime soon <laughs> yeah exactly or take out a loan. I'll take out a loan next time. <laughs> take out a loan. It's a good way to segue to our next thing because we're because we're just talking about drinks. Cuomo tweeted about the ban on to go alcoholic beverages. So I want you to get into that for a bit too. Well, it's another thing that is really fucking detrimental to the restaurant industry, which he's already done so much harm to, you know, and it's also like this ban on to go drinks. They had announced, I don't remember, I'm not remembering exactly right now, like off the top of my head, who, what entity it came from, if it was from the mayor's office or, or wherever, but we, I think it was the office, the like beverage guidelines or whatever. I don't know. I'm actually on the mailing list and I get that fucking newsletter and read it to try to like parse these edicts that they pronounce. But anyway, they were saying that to go, we were going to be able to do to go drinks and that's like wine and liquor, like to-go beers have kind of always been legal as long as they're in cans and bottles. But we're supposed to be able to do that till the end of August. And like, that's a huge boon to fucking businesses, especially businesses that change their model and are more of to-go. Like, even though we've opened back up, like there are some businesses that are still doing that kind of stuff. And George, you can talk about that in a little, in a second, because you, you work at a bar that, that kind of has really adopted that model. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you for me personally, like, it sucks, man. There's a there's a woman who comes into my bar like every Monday, and I, I'm pretty sure she's like 
after work. She's like in her fifties and she gets like a large to go margarita and like some tacos. And that's awesome. And now I have to tell that woman, no, or else like we can, we're going to get fined. Like, man, it's, it's rough, man. It's rough. And uh, this to go ban is bullshit. And honestly, like we should just fucking have to, we should just sell to go drinks. People are going to be drinking and shit in the street anyway. And like Mm -hmm. nor, and like, that's not even why they, it just hurts businesses, you know? So like, don't let fucking Andrew Cuomo ever off the hook again in saying that this man supports small businesses. And this man is like for the people because he, fuck him he's a piece of shit uh all right george please save save us all from me from my wrath no just like just like a quick thing it's gonna hurt uh, hurt uh, the bar i work at shout out double windsor because it's like they changed their business model to to accommodate being able to take to go drinks and to go food so um and what sucks is like the so so brooklyn's gonna be next month and that was one of the things that we were like really banking on was like all of the to go stuff to go to the park to watch shows so I mean, uh, we just got to pivot again, everybody. It's, it's a bummer that this had to happen, but I mean, it's just it's just the world we're living in. So, Yes, well, that is the attitude we have to have, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it sucks that we have to have that attitude. And also, I didn't mention, but like they not, like they gave us 24 hours notice. Yeah. Like, that. it's just like, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's disconcerting, but maybe, you know, keep an eye on it. Maybe there's a way for us to be able to fucking fight back. Yeah, somewhere. All right, let's move on. What's uh, what's next on tap, George? What do we got? Finally, we're going to talk a little about Loki, uh, a show you haven't seen yet, but I've been enjoying. And there was a revelation in this last episode, and I don't want to get anything wrong. So I'm going to be quoting from this article that I read from Time. And Loki came out in one of the last episode as either being uh, bisexual or uh, gender fluid, which a lot of people are praising as far as like representation and seeing that in TV shows that people watch. I like the show. Thomas... Hiddleston is delightful. So I'll pretty much watch him like cut grass if he's going to be doing anything because I'm entertained by him a, a lot. So, and I, I suggest you check it out. I agree. He, Tom, Tom, I have not watched it yet, but, but I'm interested in it because for those reasons that Tom Hiddleston, uh, he is a delight. And uh, I just share, I read, I was reading as well uh, some stuff about it, but this is from the director of the series who is also bisexual mm-hmm. and her name is Kate Heron. And she said on Twitter that this delivering this moment to fans was a goal of hers from the start. She's quoted as saying, I know this is a small step, but I'm happy and my heart is so full. And yeah, I think it's really empowering and, and great to see uh, this inclusivity, especially in like mainstream pop culture entertainment. Like uh, Kate Heron said, uh, it's a small step, but it's, it's a step forward. So yeah. Mary Bess, I know you uh, have been, you watched, I believe you said the first episode of Loki. What it, so you haven't quite got to that part yet, but uh, you are, you also find Tom Hiddleston the delight, I imagine. I do, I do. And I have seen the first episode and I did enjoy it, um, but I, I'm thrilled. I'm always thrilled with representation and I'm especially excited. Um, it, it seems like, I know you touched on it, George, George if they're going to uh, pursue Loki being gender fluid. I, I, you know, it's always wonderful to see, you know, any kind of representation from the LGBTQ plus community and mainstream pop culture. Um, but I, I'm loving seeing more uh, non-gender conforming representation as well, because I feel like, you know, that's something we don't see very often. Um, but, um, but it's always nice 
to see to see more people represented. We we are better when we when we respect and we celebrate each other. So I say let's keep doing more of that. Yeah, well, just like you know, showing that all different kinds of people exist because for so long and like you know any type of entertainment, but movies and certainly comic book movies and, and shows like it's one specific type of person. You know what I mean? Or it's it, it's not that nuanced as far as like who is playing these roles and what kind of roles they are. So, so like, it's really, yeah, it's just, again, it's progress. So. Absolutely. And not only writing characters that step into these, these roles and and these representations, but hiring actors who yes. can bring these experiences to the screen as well. So. Yes. Well, that is, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad uh, we, we encourage folk to, to be mindful of that, to be mindful of both of those, the storytelling and the actual employment of folk who are bringing new and unique experiences to to our day-to-day lives to the the things that we things that we enjoy the things that we watch the things that we read the things that we listen to let's do it let's keep going absolutely well said awesome all right well i think uh that'll do it for bar talk george what do you say i think we're all tapped out let's go talk to derek Hey, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, DQ. Mr. Derek Quarles. How are you? Good to see you. It's good to see you, my friend. Uh, Well, I know it sounds like you're having a busy day, so I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I'll I'll introduce you to to my my good friends here, uh, George Gordon and David Kleinman. Uh, Meet Mr. Derek Quarles, otherwise known as DQ. On the ones, not the twos. Is it the not the twos? I don't know. <laughs> it, it's both, but <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, good to meet you guys. Uh, so again, thank you for being on our show. Let me start off by saying like happy birthday, as uh, Dave and I are also fellow Gemini's who are our birthdays in the past few weeks. So happy, birthday. yes, happy birthday. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. Appreciate it. Yeah. Can uh, can I ask? It's it's funny. We had I was trying to figure this out because I don't think you and I have ever talked about ages before. But I read an article that said you were thirty three, and then I think you posted twenty five years. So can I ask? <laughs> can I ask what it is? Because we were confused. <laughs> I'm thirty four. I just turned thirty four. There he is. All right. Yeah, I I, I posted. I posted at 24 to confuse people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> us included. <laughs> yeah. That's us 34. Well, well, happy belated. We're we're excited to have you. And uh and yeah, um, I have been telling uh George and Dave that we met working for the Color of Change Political Action Committee, or you were technically working, I was volunteering uh for the, the Mississippi PAC around um the election last year. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. that it's just been really lovely to know you and you're doing such amazing work and you're such an impassioned and like very cool person. So uh thank you. Yeah, very very nice to know you. And we're excited to talk to you about like all of the work you're doing and the stuff that's ahead. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, to this conversation and playing this game and uh well, good good it, it's it's gonna be fun oh yeah well, Derek, let's just go ahead and get right into it uh so uh dave and uh myself we've uh don't know much about the city of greenville and about your district once you start off right there it was like tell us about greenville and that uh, in particular your district 25 yeah so greenville uh is uh i don't know if you saw my, my campaign video but greenville is one of the nation's fastest growing cities literally and mm-hmm. it's a very 
it's a different city. Um, the majority of our city council is, uh, so we have four Democrats and three Republicans. And you would think that the city is more progressive having four Democrats as city leaders. It's not. But downtown Greenville used to be, not, I mean, maybe 15 years ago, it used to be predominantly Black. And if you look at it now, it's probably 2% Black, if that. Um, so, But it's a very, they've done a very good job of making it a beautiful city, but they've done a very good job also of kicking all the Black folks and minorities out of the city. Uh, my district, unfortunately, is not in that particular district, um, but I'm going to represent all of Greenville, all of South Carolina. Um, and so my district is uh, predominantly African-American. Uh, we have a a huge population of Hispanics who have moved into the district in the last couple of years. And so that's who I'd be representing um, when I become elected. Um, I grew up in this district. I've done, I went to grade school in this district. I'm now raised in a family in this district. And so it's near and dear to my heart. And um, I've lived in several different states and several different cities. And I just moved back to Greenville recently uh, for the purpose of running for this particular office. Um, I've always had a desire to do something just didn't know what, and uh, so my social social justice work kind of led me back home to uh, to run for this for this seat. Well, that's a perfect place to get into. Like, I really want to get into the campaign and everything. I think it's incredible that just what you said, somebody from the community is coming up and, and taking that uh, responsibility on to, to run for office. Uh, um, but first, I want to talk about like your history of organizing and, and how you kind of got into organizing and and where that that has led you. Um, and, you know, you can also go into talking about this last year, this last year and a half during during the pandemic. Yeah, sure. So I actually got involved in activism um, when Trayvon Martin was killed. Um, I did a little bit of activism with the NAACP in high school, but it wasn't like to the level of, of what I've done the last couple of years. Um, and so when Trayvon Martin was killed, um, myself and two of my friends got, got in my car. We drove down to Sanford, Florida. And this is like the beginning of like Instagram. This is like when people were just getting used to it, just like getting used to like posting like those kind of incidents. And so we saw a group, a group in Florida called the Dream Defenders uh, that was started on the campus of Florida uh, FAMU. And um, so we reached out to those guys, didn't know them, reached out to them on Instagram. They responded. And so they invited us to come down and organize with them. And so we stayed in, in uh, Florida for 31 days, we slept on the floor of the state house. And that was my first time experience or getting involved in activism and, and kind of playing a role. And so, although we were not successful in what we asked for, we were successful in that we were able to galvanize folks from all around the country to come to say we wanted the stand your ground law to be repealed. And so after I came got back, after I got back home, I was more and more uh, energized. And so I, um, started doing stuff locally uh, and started, you know, meeting with different local, local law enforcement officials and that kind of thing to kind of build that conversation piece to kind of build the trust. And what I found is that, and it's, it's, it was no secret, but there's no trust between, you know, the minority community, black community and law enforcement. And so I was trying to be the person to kind of help bridge that divide and meeting with the police for almost 18 months. And one day I went into a meeting and I said, wait a minute, I need to know this question. And I asked the sheriff and the chief, they were both in this meeting. I said, do you all trust me? And they both said, no. And I said, I don't trust y'all either. And we've been meeting for 18 months at this time. And so I was like, I got them walked out of the meeting because I was like, there's no point in us talking any further. If we've met 18 months and we still don't trust each other. It wasn't that I wasn't trying to trust them because that was the point of even calling the meeting to the calling the meeting together. It was just that. And I actually stood with them when they were right. I supported them. I stood at the press conference beside them. 
But I saw that they were like using that to the advantage and saying what well, Derek supports us and Derek does this. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, I support truth. I support, I support, account- I support accountability. And so more recently, I've just been on this, this crusade to hold police accountable. And so uh, within Greenville County, there's a smaller city called Malden. And Malden is actually where I grew up. And Malden is a city that's predominantly white. Uh, it's predominantly white, older folks, um, you know, wealthy people, people of class. Well, then they have class anyways. And um, and so the police department there uh, has a history of, of racism and bigotry and that kind of stuff. And so what we started doing was we started uh, looking into police officers, like pulling their files individually. And so we we came, we, the first cop we came across, he we realized that in 2019 at a football game, he called a, a former student the N-word. And so... It was overheard by another uh, police officer. It was overheard by people at the football game, and so I looked to see what was done in terms of, in terms of discipline. Like what happened to you? And nothing happened to him. And I saw that the human resources of the human resource office for the city of Malden had told the chief at the time to suspend this guy, and that never happened. And so when I figured when I saw that never happened, I was like, so why are you why are you? I mean, I understand the chief is the chief, but the chief has a boss, and that's the HR director. Why aren't you not listening to your boss? And so the chief actually retired about a month before we started looking into this. And so he kind of got out of the way. But uh, we went to city council. We went to the mayor. We went to the, the city uh, the city manager. And after about six weeks of, you know, working on getting him terminated, we finally started, have, started having conversations about, you know, accountability. And it wasn't until almost a year later that he was actually fired. And so we started working on this. Um, actually not a year, about six, about six months. And so it took almost six months for them to even like consider it. And they only fired him because he also was a resource officer at a school and the school district fired him first. And when the school district fired him, that's when they were like, okay, we need to fire this guy. Any excuse they can use to hold on to their own, to protect their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that really speaks to, you know, I something that we were talking about before you got on that we've noticed like you, you are in on as well. Like I, I was seeing your Instagram post today about having people come out and join you and, and uh, you know, about the need to stay out in the streets. And, and, and I think, Absolutely. I think over the last like year and a half, a lot of people like n- maybe newly came to that um, and are now seeing like the need that, that, I mean, it's always been happening, but like mm-hmm. that needs to continue. And and what are your like thoughts on, on, you know, because I think a lot of it was around the, the election rightfully so, and, and to get, you know, an open fascist out of office, but now we're in a new administration facing a lot of the same problems. So how would you like, you know, encourage people to remain, to remain out there? Yeah. I, I mean, I, you just mentioned it. I mean, we, we, we live uh, in a system that systemically has endorsed and supported racism and racism, it if you look at our political our p- political infrastructure, it's guided mostly by by racist politics and racist rhetoric. And you know, we I, I was just coming into the city I'm in now, and I saw these big old signs of Donald Trump 2024. I'm just like, you know, have we not had enough of this guy? <laughs> like, it's it's crazy. And so you know, people say, well, I'm not racist, but they they support Donald Trump, and so. You know, for me, if you support Donald Trump, then I mean, there's just no other way around it. Yes. Um, and so, um, and so, as you mentioned, you know, the same because we live in a system that has been systemically been defined and endorsed by racism, we first have to break that 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 system down. I use the analogy um, that if you look at 
you know, cities all around the country that are being gentrified. You know, and you ask the city, why are you gentrifying these cities? The mayor, they'll say, well, because, you know, it was a slum or was it was, you know, the homes were dilapidated or they were, you know, you couldn't, you know, they were, you couldn't, you couldn't fix them. And so they wanted to do something different. And so the analogy I use is, is that our law enforcement system and our political system is also one of the biggest hoods, one of the biggest ghettos in this country. And so if you gentrify these neighborhoods, why don't you gentrify these police departments? Why don't you gentrify uh, these political structures so that we can rebuild them and make them what they should be so that people can enjoy them, so that people can leave their homes and not worry about being stopped by the police. And so um, that's how, and that, so stay in the streets, you know, and I, I worked for a senator and I know that, uh, you know, when you, it's, it's one thing to have four people to come in and talk to a senator, but when they got 400 people coming to talk to them, then they listen. And so there's power in numbers. And so stay in the streets, you know, go to their houses, lay on their lawns, like get there, do what you got to do to get their attention. And when you get their attention, you make sure you have one or two people that are, you know, and I hate to say it this way, but you got to say it this way, but that are articulate enough to say, this is what we want. This is when we want it. And then you, there's no, no, no negotiating. And so staying in the streets is, is really important. Uh, I want to switch gears for just a second because you've you've talked about this person a little bit, and uh, in the research that I did about learning a little about your city and South Carolina, it's like the mayor of uh, Greenville is a man by the name of Knox White who has been mayor since 1995, which to me sounds insane. And in 1995, he said something because like he ran yeah. on it. He actually, one of the things that he ran on was like was was term limits, and he said in 1985, it's like. Um, I think when people are in office too long, they just stop listening. Do you think he has stopped listening? Because he's been there for 27 <laughs> years, 26 years. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, he, he ran on, on term limits. And uh, unfortunately, nobody's running against this guy. And, you know, I consider running against him and I still may run against him. And I tell you, so during a, we, we were at a protest last summer and it was probably a thousand people at the protest and the media was out. And so I turned to the media and I said, I'm going to run for mayor. And when I said that, my phone literally started ringing and it was the mayor calling. And he was like, here's my personal cell phone number. He was like, you know, save my number. Call me if you need me. And so I never called him because I, you know, I, I didn't believe him. You know, he's been the mayor since 95 and he ain't listened to nothing we said in, 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 in since 95. So I know he's not listening now. But I texted him right before Juneteenth. I said, because last week, last year we met and he said that he wanted he wanted to support Juneteenth this year. He wanted to the city to partner and, and be a sponsor and that kind of thing. And so I texted him and I said, hey, Mayor, I'm just reminding you of the commitment you made last year about supporting Juneteenth. Never got a text back. Never got a phone call back. And so he's not listening. And in fact, he's making empty promises. And he's he he he, he was running scared last last summer. And so I, I probably may need to run. I mean, I'm going to run for this, this state house seat, but I probably need to run for that seat when it, when it comes up in a couple of years, because we have to put some fire uh, under his feet because again, nobody's running against him. I've encouraged several people that I know could beat him to run against him. And they just won't because he has a strong hold on, on people. And, and it's unfortunate. Is term limit yeah, something that's been brought up again? Because like, Outsiders like me and Dave and Mary Beth is like 26 years to be mayor is a long time. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. I'm from Chicago. So like we know about that and we know how terrible it is. <laughs> like it's not. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. Not at all. And not only that, he um, he, you know, he's been a mayor for 26 years, almost 30 years. And he uh, and if you look at the, the demographic, the demographics of the city of Greenville, uh, the biggest block of folks between the ages 18 and 35 but he look if he, but if you look at um they just created this police review commission whatever they call it 
that we asked for and it's it's really nothing but if you look at the if you look at the ages of the they people that are on the, they don't listen the ages of the people that are on this is 50 and above and so if you're listening to the people that live in the city then why is every single person that you appointed to and they're all appointed by city council and the mayor if you listen to the city why is there not at least one person between the ages of 18 and 35 right yeah because they have no interest in listening yeah. to those people absolutely um well so i wanted to ask you what like how long have you been considering i mean it sounds like maybe for a little bit but how long have you been considering a run for office and and was there like a moment where you were like this is the next step for me or this is something i want to do to really affect change yeah yeah i started considering about four about four and a half five years ago um i didn't know exactly what office i wanted to run for but i knew i wanted to do something uh in the political in the political realm because being an being an activist, you see a lot of stuff, you deal with a lot of stuff, but you also get to see that you there's only so much you can do as an activist. I mean, that, that's, it, it stops at some point in terms of like effectiveness. And so I feel like I've reached that peak. I feel like I've done as much as I could do, at least on a local level in, term, in terms of activism. And now I want to take my activism, I want to take it to our state house and I want to be able to create legislation and, and create laws uh, that will help to protect the people, that will help to hold police accountable. Um, and I also have decided to run for this state legislative seat because in our state legislature, we have a lot of, you know, even Black people that are elected who do not speak truth to power and they don't really identify with the, the challenges and the struggles, at least not publicly, that we as a minority, you know, deal with. And so I want to be that person to not only go down and hold police accountable, but I want to also hold legislators accountable. You know, you got to be accountable to your district, to your to the people that you represent. You got to be accountable to not only to your district, but to the state, because if you're a state senator or a state representative, you are a state elected official, which means you have the duty to make sure that every citizen uh, is, is, is cared for and cared after. And so that's one of the things that I'm that I'm I'm going to Columbia to, uh, to hopefully do. That's one of my goals. That is that that's really inspiring. And uh, so you are you just announced your campaign for the 25th district of South Carolina um, mm-hmm. House of Representatives and you announced it on Juneteenth, um, which if you will talk about just for a minute, like what that that meant for you um, and, wh- and why you did that. And also like, you know, so you're at the very beginning stages of the campaign and where you look to take it from here. Yeah. Yep. So I announced on Juneteenth. Um, for a number of reasons. Number, I guess the main reason being that it, it's, for me, it's my independence day. It's the day that, um, you know, black people in this country, African-Americans uh, gain independence. It's the day that, uh, that we celebrate and commemorate our contributions, our successes, um, our love uh, for our culture. And so what better day than Juneteenth to announce uh, that I'm running for an elected office. And so I got with my team and we, you know, we, decided strategically to announce on Juneteenth. And after talking to other pe- a few other people who are running for other offices who are also announcing on Juneteenth, I thought, well, this is really a great idea because, you know, there are other people around the country who are doing the same thing and, you know, for the very same reason. Um, and so, again, again, we are in the very beginning stages of our campaign. Our election is not until uh, next year. Mm-hmm. Um, some people say, why are you starting so early? Uh, but I've worked in politics long enough to know that you can never start too early. And for me, um, it's not that I'm starting early because the work I'm doing now with this campaign is the work I've been doing, you know, for the past almost 15 years. And so me announcing is just, 
it's just an announcement. Again, I've been doing this work and I'm going to continue doing this work, whether elected or not. I'm going to continue doing this work because it, it, it's my God-given assignment. It's it's why I was placed on this earth. And so um, uh, we are raising money right now. We are talking to folks. We are in the community, again, meeting with people. I met with the pastor last night and uh, a community person about a community garden. I know nothing, nothing about gardening, but I'm expanding. Uh, I want to learn more. I don't want to just know activism. I want to know more. And so I was talking to a lady last week and she said, we want a community garden in our community. And I was like, okay, well, let me see what I can do to, to help. And so I'm learning now gardening because I, again, I want to be a, a representative for all people. I don't want to just represent a certain segment of the community. There's a, one of the articles I read was from a uh, uh, town, Carolina.com. And, um, Talked about uh, Carl Allen. So, tell me some of the things you've learned from him, just just from just getting into this 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 world. Yep. yep. So, Senator Allen, uh, in fact, started out as a representative in the same seat that I'm running for. He was a representative mm-hmm. uh, in this seat, and so, uh, and he uh, he's been a, a, a very strong mentor uh, to me. I call him a sponsor because you know a mentor they they you know they kind of check on you and that from now every now and then. But a sponsor, they take you under their wing. They let you, you know, walk with them. They let you shadow them. They, let, they basically, they teach you what they know and, and without any hesitation and any reservation. And so he's done that. He has taught me a lot. Um, he has held me accountable. He's chastised me when needed. He's corrected me when, when needed. But he's also supported me. And he's also like, you know, given me a platform uh, to, to do this work. Um, and so, and again, he's, he's partnered with me on a lot of initiatives. And so, um, you know, I've learned, in fact, that was a, a bill that I credit him for um, that was, well, the bill was introduced by by Republicans and the bill would have stopped nonprofit organizations in South Carolina from registering people to vote, um, basically. And that that same bill was introduced in Georgia and all the Southern states, Mississippi, and it passed in all the other states. And I was like, it's going to pass in South Carolina. Um, But what we did was we mobilized, we got people to come to the state house and we got in the faces of the Republicans and the bill was killed and it never came back up for um, for a vote. And so, I I I, um, I give him the credit for that because he was the person that was like, "Hey, you need to do this. You need to get these people together. You need to here's what you need to do. Here's who you need to go and talk to, and that kind of thing." And so, without that type of guidance behind the scenes, it, it, that bill probably would have would have passed and it would have uh, slowed down voter registration in South Carolina. That's great. In in the travels that you've been around, because you said it was like you've been to Ferguson and you've been to. Chicago, I was like, give us some places in which that seem to be getting it right as far as affordable housing, as far as like some of the things that they're doing that they're like, they're on the right track. Because uh, we definitely want some positive stuff to, out here too. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I just saw this morning a, a press release from the mayor of the city of Portland, Portland in Oregon, um, that they have stopped police, police from uh, conducting minor traffic stops. So if it's a taillight, expired tag, they're not conducting those traffic stops until further notice. And that's because uh, they, they did a study and they saw, I mean, Portland's only 6% African-American, but the, but the majority of the traffic, 18% of the traffic stops are Black people. And so um, they thought that was a really huge number, which it is. And so the mayor made a very bold and aggressive decision to stop the police from doing those minor traffic stops. As we know, that uh, a minor traffic stop led to Dante Wright being, being murdered mm-hmm. uh, by the police. And so uh, Portland is getting it right, and I hope that a lot of other cities' mayors will follow suit. A lot of the police departments will follow suit to at least until further notice, until they can get a better hold on, you know, because again, like what happened yesterday in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and there was a minor traffic stop that led to two guys being brut- brutally attacked uh, by the police and the police dog. And so 
Um, so Portland is getting it right. Uh, we also know that the city of Atlanta is doing a lot of a lot of phenomenal things in terms of uh, affordable housing and 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 not kicking too many folks out of the city. Of course, gentrification is happening in Atlanta as it is everywhere, uh, but they're doing a great job of, of, of trying to maintain uh, a number of low income uh, units in the city. And even in South Carolina, the city of Columbia, uh, who the mayor is uh, Steve Benjamin. If you ride around the city of Columbia, which is again, a predominantly black city, uh, they've done a lot of gentrification, but black people still remain in the city in high numbers. And so um, there's a way to gentrify, there's a way to clean up the city without kicking people out. And I think Columbia has done a very great job of doing that because I was riding through last week and I saw some new apartments and I was sure that they cost 13, $1,450 just by the way they look, but they were low income. All of them are low co- income. And I was like, this makes me happy. And so maybe they need to come in and see what, why the mayor, how the mayor of Columbia is able to build these nice apartments and still keep people in them that, you know, make low to no income. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's such an important issue. And I think that, you know, I think that a lot of the things we're talking about one of the hopeful things is people like yourself that are actually from the community that are taking it upon themselves to put themselves in positions of power to bring the community together to mobilize and to make this stuff happen and and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about about you know your plans for gentrification as far as far as your specific community is cuz cuz it is something that's like so pervasive throughout this mm-hmm. country and, and uh yeah it's a it's a problem we are we are really trying to haven't had a lot of success with with uh, changing. Yeah, so in my district particularly, um, which is again, predominantly black district um, and a lot of like low income housing. Um, I was riding through a few weeks ago and I saw uh, a house for sale and I could tell the house had been renovated. And so I Googled the address and I looked the house, the, I looked up the price of the house and it was $440,000. The house right next door to it was only valued at $57,000. And I started Googling the other addresses and I'm like, and so I was riding around and I'm like, they, they, they've now come to the hood, like not just the city, but then they're coming into the hood and the county limits. And they're also gentrifying those areas. And they're not, they're not, and they're not even rebuilding. They're just like renovating. And then they're, they're raising the house price 200 times what it, what it's worth or what it was worth before they started the renovations. And so you got, you know, for example, I had a lady call me two weeks ago. Her elderly grandparents were living in their home for 30 years. The house has been paid for for 20 years. They paid for it in 10 years. And they got an offer. They got a visit one day from a random person. The person made them an offer to buy their house. Um, it was offered that they couldn't refuse, which they should have refused it. Um, but the the way they smoothed it over was they said, well, we have a rental property. That you can, we'll pay you this price for this house. We have a rental property that you can stay in until you find another place. And so this elderly couple, they were like, let's do it. And so they sold their home that they owned for at least 20 years. They stayed in this rental property uh, for about two months. And then they got an eviction notice and they had to move out immediately. And because they were elderly, they didn't know that they had rights, that they could go to the court and petition the court. They didn't know this. And so they actually ended up moving within five days, left all their belongings behind because they were forced out and told if they didn't leave, they would be kicked out of the place. And so it's situations like this that happen all, not just in South Carolina, it happens all over the country. Um, you know, where cities are raising taxes on property because they, again, they're coming in and they're building, you know, these half million dollar properties in a neighborhood where homes only worth 25, 30, $40,000 and they're taking those properties away from them. And so one of the things I'm going to work on aggressively on day one 
is to work with our city, our county officials, which I've already been doing this, but in an activism capacity. And again, they only let you go so far as an activist, um, but working with them to make sure that when developers come into these cities and, and into our county, that we have conversations with them about, you know, maintaining structures uh, or, or dedicating uh, uh, structures to, a, to low income to low-income families. So if you're building a new apartment community with 200 units, dedicate 10% of those to uh, people who are low, of low and no income. You know, if you're building a community or subdivision with 500 homes, you know, dedicate 25% of those homes to low-income people so that people can continue to live in places where they have lived their entire lives without being forced out into, you know, to, onto the streets, basically. Because a lot of people live, live, like when they left, they moved in with relatives, you know, they were basically homeless. And again, they've lived in their own home that they own for 30 years. And so I'm going to be, on, again, on day one, aggressively attacking, you know, uh, gentrification. I think that's really great. Like that, that conversation, you know, I mean, especially like we live in New York city mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, like you cannot stop the development train right. um, completely, right. but, but, especially over where I live kind of in Kensington and Sunset Park, there has been some success with, you know, organizing communities to get developers to sit at the table with them and have a conversation and say, we demand this, you can't do like, and to demand like politicians, you know, uh, look at the way they vote on zoning laws and and, uh, their relationships with developers. So I think that that, you know, you're, that's really hopeful to hear, to hear you say that. Um, and, uh, I think we wish you, you know, all the success in that. Is there anything else like from the campaign that, what are some of your other, uh, you know, issues that you are, are really passionate about that you're looking forward to, to getting in there on? Yep. So one of the other things is, uh, the juvenile justice, uh, system in South Carolina, but around the country basically is, is, is the bump. But, uh, here in South Carolina, our, juvenile justice system, which I actually went through as a juvenile. I spent nine months locked up in a juvenile prison. And so I'm really passionate about the juvenile justice system because number one, uh, when I was arrested, um, and, and of course, I, and I, sh- and I should have been arrested because I did a lot of crazy stuff, uh, but there was no rehabilitation. And um, the, only rehabilita- the only rehabilitation I had was, you know, me talking to God. And, 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 but, and so for people that aren't religious or don't, that don't have that foundation, they have no re- rehabilitation. And so they go back home and they do the same stuff and they end up going to prison. I can't tell you the number of guys that I was locked up with back then who are now in prison or even dead. And that was because they had no true rehabilitation. And so uh, about, about a month ago or a little over a month ago, our juvenile justice director in South Carolina was under a whole lot of scrutiny because he has, you know, they alleged that he has mismanaged the, 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 uh, the agency. And, uh, and so I, I got involved with this because I remember being in DJJ 20 years ago and some of the issues that are happening today are the same issues that were happening 20 years ago, you know, with, with the police officers having to work, you know, 24 hours before they go home or 36 hours before they go home. And, you know, you know, not being paid for overtime, you know, kids being left unsupervised, uh, riots happening. And so one of the things I want that I'm going to do is work with our governor because the governor appoints uh, those agency directors, but I'm going to make work with the governor's office to make sure that uh, when we have directors that they have the support they need, because this director has not had any support from the legislative. He's not had any increase in funding, which, which is so needed. Uh, the staff have not had an increase in pay and they already make, you know, 
you know, pennies compared to what they should be making. And so I'm going to fight to make sure that our juvenile correctional office, but not just juvenile correctional, all correctional offices uh, make a living wage because what they're making right now, again, is, 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 is pennies compared to what it should be paid. Also making sure that those kids that are in there, that they, that they have the proper treatment and, you know, the, the mental health treatment, uh, the behavioral treatment, um, that they have the, the correct uh, access to therapists and, and to dentists, uh, because even kids in there who have toothaches, I mean, you got a toothache, you're not being seen, you, you're going to cause trouble until you, and, and so, and that kind of stuff happens. And so just being uh, very, very uh, in tune with what's happening with DJJ and working with that director, working with his, his or her administration to make sure uh, that they have the resources that they need to, to run the agency as smoothly as, 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 as possible. Thank you for sharing. Uh, again, like people with lived experiences mm-hmm. running for office, I think yeah. it's very, very important. Right. So Derek, we, we covered a lot of ground. We definitely want to make sure we end on like a, on a high note. So I feel like we should go ahead and start playing our game. But before we play our game, uh, you being from below the Mason Dixon line and talk, we, we're going to be talking about Southern rap and Southern food and soul food in particular um, uh, in places like Memphis and New Orleans and Houston, Southern rap, Atlanta, Southern rap didn't arrive. It's like, it's always been there. So it's like, what'd you tell us about like how you feel about Southern rap and Southern hip hop? Because we're gonna have a good time with this one. Yep. So I actually saw this morning of the shade room posted this, this thing. And they said that that little baby is like the, is like the, um, he's like ludicrous of, about, he's a ludicrous of, of today. And then they said that, okay. <laughs> and then they said that he's like, uh, like compared to two other people, but they ended up saying that he's like, that he's like, uh, it was ludicrous. Somebody, it was two other people. And I was like, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I, I like, I do like uh, the baby, but I don't think he is the ludicrous. Uh, but Southern rap, I mean, you mentioned it's, it's not new to us. It's, it's, it's been around. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love all kinds of music. I, I enjoy trap music, rap music. Um, and so some people look at me and think I don't like rap music by the way I look, but I mean, you can't judge a book about stuff. I mean, I, I love trap music. I love rap music. Um, and again, rap music, going back to, to DJJ, rap music is something that a lot of the kids or rapping was something a lot of the kids did for therapy to help them pass time. And so um, I have brothers who, you know, they, they rappers, they write songs or, you know, perform and that, that kind of thing. And, I'll say this too, we had Juneteenth last week and um, we opened it up to, you know, all kind of talent. And so there was a guy who was a rapper and uh, and so we had people, you know, he was like, well, I can't afford to pay the $100, you know, entry fee. And I said, oh man, like, bro, don't worry about that. Like, if you got the money, that's fine. Like, come and share your talent. And after it was over, he texted me and he was like, man, I appreciate you because you're the first person that's given me an opportunity to to share my art. And, and it's art. And so that's what it is. And so, um, and so it's, it's it's just that it's art and so i i love rap music i love art and so yeah that's great let's go and get into it so here at the know your roles uh podcast what we do is we seemingly take two things that have uh nothing in common we find ways to connect them this is the first game in which two things have a lot in common and we're going to connect them anyway so uh right. so we're going to each gonna do five i'm gonna start off dave and then you as our guest is going to be uh going third and uh my first one is i went to the university of memphis in the 90s and uh, I love Memphis rap, so I would be remiss and not talk about one of my favorite Memphis rap songs, which is Show Enough by Tella featuring 8-Ball and MJG. Um, it's one of the crazy things about growing up or living in Memphis is like if you, like to them, like uh, they were, Memphis rap is like, that is the biggest rap. It's like they didn't really, they weren't listening to Nas and Jay-Z and all that stuff. 
it was like now it was like it's like if it's from memphis it's like you, you represent our town we're, we're all about you so i love the song tell showing up by tella and for me the food i'm going to compare it to it because it's a line in a song hair extensions long nails ass thicker than gumbo so shown up is gumbo <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah especially when you can actually quote the song oh, right, right. um all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna go go next and i'm also uh i'm all for not judging a book by its cover as a goofy white dude white jewish dude who also loves hip-hop and rap um but uh i i love a lot of southern rap but my first one is one that I never really got like my friends in like grade school, I think when this came out or maybe high school um, loved it. And, uh, but I was just like, but now I can understand. I'm like, Oh, I get that. It was a thing. And that's make them say, uh, by master <laughs> P <laughs> and I, like, I think it was a very specific thing, you know? And like, I get it now a little bit more. And that's why as a food it's chitlins, never had chitlins as a kid. <laughs> uh, I always heard about them. It was like a, it was like a, like a myth basically. And I used to see like commercials for them in Chicago, like the, the pork store would make uh chitlins commercials. And yeah, that's why, but I understand that it's a thing. It might not be for me, but it's yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I make them say, uh, is uh chitlins. <laughs> <laughs> Eric. So for me, um, yeah, so for me, the song is, uh, and, and and this is debatable, but I, I think Ja Rule is one of the greatest rappers to ever, you know, grace the, the rap industry. Um, I love all Ja Rule's music, and I hate that he's not making music now. Uh, but I do love the fact that he is now, like, educating people on finances. But I will say, uh, the song that, that, uh, that for me is, um, is uh, crap. It's the one he made with Ashanti, and I can't think of a number of it now. Um, Put It On Me? Is that is that, what it's called? is that what it's yeah, called? That's it. That's the it. Hook that's, is. it. Yeah. that's it. That's it. Put it on. Put it on. And the reason, but and, and, and the song that says your kiss, your smile. No, it's not that it's the one that your kiss, your smile. I love it when you kiss me, baby. Uh I can't deny uh, whatever that song is. And the food is Hershey Kisses, because when they say your kiss, your smile, I love it when you kiss me, baby. So that's what I connected to. <laughs> right on. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right. So my first choice, I shout out on Memphis. And on my second one, I'm a shout out New Orleans. So I, I had to do a squad song for, for my, one of my choices. And squad song is True to the Games, No Limit Soldier, Master P, Silk the Shocker, Sea Murder, Mia X, a seven minute squad jam. And with all those ingredients, I had to make it a, a dish that had a lot of ingredients. So True to the Games, No Limit Soldiers is Jambalaya. Dave. Nice. All right. Um, I'm going to pay homage to Texas, actually, right now. And uh, the song I would describe the same way I would describe the food, which is slow and low and sticky. <laughs> and that's uh, Still Tipping by Paul Wall <laughs> um, with uh, Mike Jones is on that track. I forget who else is, but that track is awesome. Slim Thug. Slim Thug. That beat is, yeah, that beat is amazing. Um Hall of Fame beat. And that's why as a food, it's Texas brisket. Low, slow, sticky, and delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Derek. All right. Um, 
I left my list at home, so I'm trying to think of the next song that I had on my list. Um, can you skip me and come back? Yeah, we can come back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. It would be very easy to say the this one song off this, this album because it's called Soul Food. Uh, everything that I did, different things that I told, just ended up being more food for my soul. It would be easy to do that, but I don't do things easy. I'm going to make it hard on myself. So the song that I'm going to choose, and I'll have one of the best concerts I've ever been to, Goody Mob's Cell Therapy. Who's that peeking in my window? Pow. And that's 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 a, that's a song on so many levels that got so many good things. So I'm going to throw in some black eyed peas, with a little rice, some onions, some bacon, some hand hocks. There's like some Hoppin' Johns in some territories. That's what we're going to call it. But social therapy is Hoppin' John. Dave. Awesome. Um, all right. Mine... Uh... My next one is a, a shout out to New Orleans, and uh, it's also something I would describe uh, as a guilty pleasure on both ends. And that the song is right above it um, by Lil Wayne and Drake. <laughs> and it's also the theme song for the TV show Ballers, which is also a guilty pleasure. And that's why as a food, it's an oyster po' boy, fried oyster po' boy. Definitely shouldn't have that every day, but when you do, it's pretty spot on. <laughs> so the song, the next song I had on my list is uh, "Flavor in Your Ear." Ooh, it's, it goes. Who, what's that flavor in your ear? I, I get all the all the lyrics to it, but I like that song. Because I, that's actually one of my. It was one of my dad's favorite. It was was my dad. Well, it is my dad's one of his favorite songs. I used to listen all the time, but. Uh, the food that I relate to that is, and it's it's what you mentioned earlier. It was chillings because I, <laughs> because every time my dad listened to that song, I was I, I, I always <laughs> chillings. I don't know what it was about him and chillings in that song. Who knows? They go together, I guess. <laughs> nice. All right, so we went to we went to Memphis, with New Orleans, where Atlanta. In fact, we're gonna shout out another great southern city we're gonna shout out houston and seeing that i'm an older cat i'm gonna choose an older rap song from houston and that's the ghetto boys minus playing tricks on me and seeing that i'm that i've been to houston i'm gonna shout out a houston restaurant and i'm gonna shout out this is it soul food so the ghetto boys minus playing tricks on me this is it soul food smothered pork chops three size and two pieces of cornbread thank you (laughs) nice um Oh yeah, I like those older references, George. Um, I I have one too, and this is one that you you mentioned the album, and you said you didn't want to take the easy way out. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and take the easy way out, and uh, <laughs> that's of course Goody Mob's Soul Food. I mean, it was like you know, it popped. It was the first thing that popped in my head, obviously when we when we came up with this because it fits both those categories so well, but uh, also like. I, I was thinking about it as like in relation to what's going to be my last one, um, which is like, you know, so the one A and one B of like the mainstream, uh, you know, uh, entrance of, of Southern rap in, into like the other, the coasts and, and the Midwest. Um, and, you know, so like they're, they're one of the originators. They're one of the main dudes, but they're not like the ones that are credited with that, that rise. And that's why, they're a plate of fried fish. Like I'm, I'm going to explain this in a second, but 
I, I would rather have something else like most of the time, but I'm never unhappy with the plate of fried fish and it's <laughs> delicious. And like, there are some times where I'm like, you know, that's what I want instead of anything mm-hmm. else. So yeah, soul food is uh, by by mob or by Goody Knob is uh, fried fish, plate of fried fish. Yeah, I love eating fried <laughs> fish now. That's, that's, that's <laughs> fish yeah. with hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, mine is I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to the, the new school is uh, Lil Baby, uh, and and the song by Lil Baby is Everybody, and I like this song Everybody because I like the I like the flow of the music, I like the, the beat, uh, and the food I'm gonna relate it to is fried chicken because everybody likes fried chicken <laughs> at least in the south if you don't like fried chicken i don't i mean i don't know where you from like what are you doing and so fried chicken is the thing right you eat on, fried right chicken on. at funerals you eat it at weddings you do that uh i remember one time we were going to a family reunion and my aunt cooked fried chicken and put it in a ziploc bag and put foil around it and paper towels and we drove eight hours to new orleans eating fried chicken and so Everybody like fried chicken. <laughs> sounds like a good good road trip. Um, <laughs> George. All right, now for my last one. Now, everybody knows and all the listeners know that I went to the University of Memphis. But what people don't know is I'm from the great state of Virginia. So if I'm going to, I got to shout out a Virginia song. So I'm going to shout out Virginia by Clips. It's like uh, in Virginia, we smirked at the Simpson trial. But yeah, the chase was wild, but what's the fuss about? Love that song, Virginia. Where to shoot the shit to do but cook. So I'm gonna say fried chicken for Virginia, but fried chicken from a very specific place. And that place is Doris Gordon's house, which is my mom. Shout out to my mom. Happy birthday, mom. I know you're a listener. So Virginia by clips is Doris Gordon's fried chicken. Hey. Uh that's incredible. I would also love to wish a happy birthday to to Miss Gordon. Um, Absolutely. That, that's incredible. <laughs> um, uh, and that, yeah, I, I bet that fried chicken is awesome. Um, the best. All right. Well, I'm going to keep it relatively on theme as well. Um, you know, like I was saying, Goody, if Goody Mob is the fried fried fish and I chose Soul Food as the song, I, I got to choose a, another track, another title track off the first album of just a great Southern rap group. And of course that's outcast and it's Southern playlistic Cadillac music. And uh, that's why it's for me, I wanted to make it a little more specific and it's hot chicken. It's hot chicken <laughs> because it's, it's like something different too. Like, especially for me from Chicago who was listening to rap and hip hop at that time, but like nothing like, like Southern playlistic Cadillac music, that album, like it, it broke my brain in like the best possible way and uh hot chicken it will do the same <laughs> especially if it's really hot right it will hurt you a little hot sauce <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and my last song is uh is is bring them out by ti uh so we're in atlanta and so of course i love atlanta i love ti i love his music and i also love his activism uh but i chose uh so bring them out if you think about bring them out what it means i know in high school we used to bring bring them out you know at pep rallies and that kind of stuff so it not only brought the people out um but it also brought out the little the, the, the hood in you if you had a little hood in you. Even, if you even if you didn't know it it brought it out of you um but i think about uh the seafood boils uh all these seafood places that are popping up is bringing everybody out um and so 
Uh, and you got to have the right sauce. You got to make sure it's done right. But it brings the people out. Awesome. <laughs> That's how you stick the landing, my friend. Well, Derek from from Dave and myself and uh, Mary Beth, you have been a delight. Thank you so much for being on our pod. Yes. Before we let you go, is there anything else you want to uh, uh, plug or want to be aside from running for, for office? But it's like anything else you want to like bring up before we let I you go? I appreciate you offering the opportunity and whatever I can do uh, in the future. Just let me know. I appreciate you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and you know, we really, I, again, like George said, we, it's really incredible that you're, that you're taking this responsibility and running. What's uh, what can we do to support you? What, w- you know, what, what can even people that don't live in South Carolina, like how do we learn about your campaign and, and uh, where do we find you? Yep. So my website for my campaign is Derek for SC.com. And so that's D E R R I C K F O R S C.com. Uh, you can go to my website to find out more about my campaign and why I'm running and who I am. Uh, you learn about my family, which is really important to me. Uh, my daughter, uh, my fiance, all, all on my page. Um, and so it also, um, and, and also my numbers on this. So I'm, I'm a very personal person. So if you want to have a conversation about why I'm running or, you know, if you live in South Carolina, you want to make a recommendation on what I should look at, or if you want to tell me about what's happening in New York and what's happening in Mississippi, what's happening in Chicago, uh, that we might what we can do in South Carolina. I'm happy to hear that also. So um and then I'm on social media. So Instagram is probably the quickest way to find me and that's political whiz P-O-L-I-T-I-C-A-L-W-I-Z. Indeed you are political whiz. <laughs> thank you all so much. Um, yeah, you, well, again I'll just reiterate yeah thank you so much. It's so nice to see you. Always nice to talk to you and good to know you. Good to know you. I'm glad Likewise. I'm glad you're in the position you're in doing some really big things and, and the work you've already done. We're also grateful for, I know South Carolina is grateful for you and we're, we're excited to see what happens next. We're with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Same. Have a good night. All right. I'll take care. All right. Thank you again. We really want to thank Derek Quarles. That was really uh, enlightening and great. Please follow his campaign at Derek4SC.com. Definitely check him out at Political Wiz. This is Instagram. Again, he is running for House of Representatives in 25th District in South Carolina. It's incredible. Definitely look into this man and and uh, see if you if there's anything you can do to support him because it's great. It's like we were saying, like it's so it's so cool to see like real people from communities rise up and, and, and take on this challenge and, you know, try to really do something for, for their community and for the world at large. So yeah, we support it. Absolutely. Now we're going to go ahead and uh, go into last call where we talk about the things we're looking forward to and what we're looking at this next, uh, you know, coming week or two, George, what do you got going on? Well, I mentioned earlier that I went to my first baseball game and uh, I'm going to be seeing my first concert uh, this week. I'm seeing uh, my friend's band 79.5 at Come On Everybody. They're amazing. My friend Kate Madison is uh, the one, one of the lead singers, but they're they're going a little bit later than I would expect, than I, than I want to show the start, but whatever. It's after RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> at Come On Everybody. So it's like, all right, so like we'll keep the party going after that. But I'm... Uh, so shout out to uh, 79.5 for putting on a live show. My first concert in a year and a half. Looking forward to that. What about you, Dave? Sweet. Um, well, I'm looking forward to the uh, 
the rest of the playoffs, the conference finals and in the NBA. Um, it's been weird to say the least. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Considering like all the injuries and like the four te- the final four teams that we're left with are probably not picked um, by a lot of people. Um, yeah. It's very, really been wild and, and interesting. Not the best gameplay, not, not the best, like not the best playoffs, but kind of a train wreck that you can't look away from. It's weird that like nine of the top 11 basketball players are not playing basketball right now. Yeah, it sucks because um, they're all injured because they had to come. No, no, no not even injuries. It's just. It's oh, just, because their team's lost. No, yeah, it's like no LeBron, no KD, yeah. no AD, no Kyrie, no Jokic, who was the MVP, no Dame Lillard. It's really bizarre. <laughs> like there's but like. Almost every one of those players you mentioned, except for maybe Dame, like part of the reason they're not playing is because their other, because their their team was injured, you know, um, which is like what we're what we're dealing with now. I mean, like nobody, it, I just wish that we could see these teams at, at full strength, you know, but uh, anyway, the other thing I'm looking forward to is the, the quest love movie is finally uh, dropping on Hulu. And uh, I guess it's going to be in like select theaters um, Sick. on July 2nd. Yeah. Summer of soul. So that's uh, something cool to look forward to. And I'm looking forward to, uh, getting some of these these election results that are going to take like two fucking weeks for us to to get answers on a lot of this stuff but you know not great in the mayor's race but uh some really good stuff uh around the council we are really hoping that the significant lead that our council candidate shahana hanif has holds uh she would be the first bangladeshi woman the first muslim on the city council let's go let's get it shahana yeah so uh gonna watch that gonna watch those votes come in and uh well i'm i'll be checking my phone on the canoe while i'm smoking in the middle of the lake <laughs> that's still i i like like it's still peaceful for me um, <laughs> um, all right uh we're gonna go ahead and check in with our favorite regular and the person that makes this show go mary bess our producer for mb's booth mary bess thanks dave um thanks for that lovely lovely throw Uh, I appreciate it. Um, So today I want to talk about a group that is doing some very cool stuff. Uh, You may have seen them on Instagram. Uh, You may have seen their campaign. uh, Hashtag keep your pride. They're called Corporate Accountability Action. And this group holds large companies accountable for their responsibility to promote equity and inclusion in America. Uh, Corporate accountability claims to strengthen the partnerships between corporate America and the communities under attack by an extremist agenda. Um, And they're doing some very, very cool stuff. They're hosting live events uh, throughout New York, uh, like one this past week at the Stonewall Inn, telling Anheuser-Busch to keep their pride. And they're hosting press conferences to promote campaigns against corporations taking advantage of Pride Month and merchandising to make a buck while also contributing massive dollars to anti-LGBTQ legislation across the country. And I know we've talked before about, you know, us having power as consumers and being very mindful about where we put our dollars and being mindful about what organizations and what corporations we prop up with our patronage. And so this group um, is giving us a really great opportunity uh, to be vocal about where our money goes and how the corporations that we prop up 
treat marginalized groups, uh, especially when they're being attacked with help from funding by large corporations like Anheuser-Busch um, that are, you know, promoting cans of Budweiser with, you know, rainbow flags on them for pride. And it's, it's something that I think some people just don't think about. And it's very easy to not know these things because, you know, it's, it's easy to just go about our lives and not really think about it. But I'm very grateful for this group, Corporate Accountability Action, which you can find at keepyourpride.org. You can also find them on Instagram at Corporate Accountability Action. And they have several campaigns going right now against large corporations that specifically are taking advantage of Pride Month and doing a lot of merchandising uh, around Pride. And these corporations are giving massive amounts of dollars to legislators that are hurting the LGBTQ plus community. So it's a great way to check in and be mindful of this. So we encourage you to check it out. Capitalism kills. Eat the rich. Um, thank you, Mary Beth. Uh, You're welcome. Yes, let's do it. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that uh, awesome organization and the work that they're doing. Um, all right, George, why don't you give us something to, something else to uh, look forward to? Tell us what we got going on on our next show. All right, listeners, our, our next episode is going to be July 9th, in which we're going to have Basuna's teacher and all-around badass Rebecca Heller. So looking forward to that. So we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks for that joint. Awesome. Yes, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you to George and thank you to Mary Bess. Thank you to Amanda Zeller and Alan Tech Kid, Nate88 and Kazo Oslo. Everybody, please subscribe, rate and review. Know your roles wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you. And uh, yeah, everybody take care and be safe. Absolutely. And I'm still going to say this, but I also want you to get vaccinated as well. But please, if you're not, wear your mask over your fucking nose. Shout out. Yes. Keep wearing a mask if you're not vaccinated. And also, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um,